Consistency is the playground for dull minds. This is the Yoakam Strength Podcast with me, your host, Austin Yoakam, and producer Marcus Sawson behind the scenes. This quote leads us to our guest today, Sam Wiest. Sam is a master of acupuncture, tai chi, and a certified strength coach. On this episode of the podcast, we talk about how Sam ties together all of these diverse backgrounds and outside approach to the field of the traditional field of strength conditioning, where you're you're going through that four years of CSCS schooling, and how we can combine all this outside approach things and the woo-woo-wee world of strength conditioning, the woo-woo-wee world of human performance, and tie it into a holistic program that makes sense for the athlete or the person in front of him. He brings us down the rabbit hole of how sometimes our goal is not to do more and to grind more, which we talk about a lot, but how can we do less? How can we learn how to come down? How can we learn how to calm down and recover? And he asks a simple but profound question of, can we do better? Can we do better as strength coaches? Can we do better as people? Is there more there to look for? And Sam does a really nice job of exploring this question with me. And I'm a big fan of this question. Can we do better? Sam is a beautiful example of how range and fields can give you this outside approach you're looking for to really see things for how they are. I think a lot of times we get stuck in our own box, and I've definitely been there before, where we're, we're stuck in this one box of our biases, and we're stuck in this one box of this is what's worked in this little bit. So we're seeing things through that lens, and Sam has got to see things through so many lenses, so many different approaches to the field of human performance and he's able to kind of tie it together and see things for how they are which i think is really really cool and i really enjoy talking to coaches and practitioners like himself i really hope you guys enjoy this podcast as much as i do get the notepads ready thank you guys for listening keep chopping wood before we hit the intro music i wanted to introduce to you guys the yokum strength insider the Yoakum Strength Insider is our online training platform that takes all of the ideas that we talk about on this podcast and implements them into a program that is available to you at the touch of your fingers. Our goal with the Yoakum Strength Insider is to create better movers, to level up your life, and to move forward from where you are. We do this in a holistic fashion. Not only will you receive a program that has helped hundreds of people become better movers, you'll also receive access to our app that allows you to track everything, has video links for all exercises, and allows you to be in constant communication with the Yoakum Strength Coach. Along with this, you'll get our 30-page PDF nutrition and lifestyle guidelines that includes everything from what to eat, how much of it to eat, why we're eating it, meditation habits, and other lifestyle habits that we implement with our clients to really level up their lives. If you're interested in trying out one of these programs, use Podcast 25 in the discount section right before you pay for 25% off your first program. Marcus, you know what time it is. Hit that intro music. Boom. This is the Yoakum Strength Podcast. Take the leap down the rabbit hole with us as we interview elite level guests to unravel what high performance really is. All right, well, Sam, welcome to the podcast. I'm excited to have you here. Thanks for having me, Austin. Yeah, I've been uh, I've been following your page for a little bit, and I just uh, Joel actually got me onto you. Um, and I really, really love kind of the flow state, the martial arts approach that you have. And just kind of I, I, holistic is such kind of like a woo-woo-wee word right now. Um, but like if I were to give you like a word, it's, it's kind of that holistic approach. It's like the diving deeper approach. It's really like mind, body, soul, spirit, like connected into movement, connected into health. And I'm really excited to dive into that with you today. Yeah, I'm pretty stoked for it. Thanks for having me on. Do you want to tell the listeners how you got into that world? Because that's something we, we talked about a little bit before we started the podcast is like, the structure, like it, a lot of people are growing up in like the structure, the, the typical schooling. And it, 
for many people, it's really tough to break out of that, that, that kind of cycle in that box. And a lot of it is just like, they're not exposed to the knowledge. They're not exposed to some of the things that you're talking about. They're not exposed to kind of the, some of the Western world, you know, like some of those different pieces of health and medicine. Like, how did you get to where you're at knowledge wise? How did you get to where you're at of breaking out of that box? Yeah, I think I just had no choice. Um, for me, you know, like I was, uh, a pretty, you know, decent high school athlete, uh, you know, college division one athlete. Um, I had a lot of things, uh, pop up, you know, like I had a lot of injuries and then looking back on them, I can see that there was a, you know, we use this as a woo -woo word, but when we define it like a holistic set of factors leading to those injuries, you know, we're talking environmental, we're talking about physical, you know, biomotor stuff. We're talking about also emotional stuff. We're talking also about general lifestyle, um, ability to just like calm down and recover. So I actually was, um, in a boot for like six months at one point, I just like, wasn't healing from an injury, um, that I picked up as a high jumper in college. And, um, uh, I just started to like, look at other, actually it was before this, I had had one session of acupuncture, um, because I had broken a fibula and I didn't realize I'd broken a fibula. I had just thought I rolled my ankle. So I, um, went there, it healed up, uh, you know, within a few sessions and I was like, Oh, I'm fine. And then I had an x-ray for something else later on. Um, and they were like, Oh, by the way, did you know that you fractured this? Um, because they were just kept on asking about it and x-rays, things will show up for a long time after the injury is even healed. So they had, um, you know, that was a kind of profound moment for me of like, Oh, there's another system that doesn't even work with the, um, you know, the myofascial understanding that I had at the time where things are pretty localized and even working with, you know, uh, you know, systems such as what Kelly Starrett has put out, like the above and below understanding those principles, even working with things on the opposite limb, um, that where my injury is at is relieving pain and, and helping me to function perform. It's like, it's very, it changes my mindset. It changed my mindset at the time because it didn't fit into any model. Um, but it worked. So that's the practicality. It's like, there's, I don't know how you call something woo if it, if it works, you know, it's very grounded. It's like, it, it, it wasn't, it was painful and then it wasn't painful. So it's very black and white. Um, and so it's like, I was always in the back of my mind. And so I followed after that, a pretty traditional coaching route of, you know, was a college athlete, uh, competed a little bit post-collegiately, you know, um, went to do all the track and field coaching certifications, had a fifth year because of an injury and, um, was, uh, able to do a, a year long coaching education master's degree, uh, uh, which was really influential and helpful for me because it was, it did incorporate a lot of psychological principles and uh, just a returning theme theme of could we do better in coaching? Um, because I think, you know, if you're, as you sound like a, you're right on the same page as me in terms of being like, yeah, like, can we do better? And like daily asking that question, like, where can I improve this aspect? How can I both improve the performance and also give something back to the athlete? Um, so that they're increasing their quality of life and not just their performance. And can we do both at the same time? And um, so that was really influential, but I just started coaching college athletes uh, in Massachusetts. Um, I coached at a couple of small colleges uh, in the area, uh, Babson and, and Tufts University. And then um, most recently coached uh, Intention Athletic Club in South Florida, which was a small group of post-collegiate and Olympic contending uh, athletes. And so some of them were within my group full-time kind of had a flux because it was this COVID situation. And some of them were kind of there to get some, you know, rehab or get some training in while they were in the area. Um, great group of athletes to work with, super open to, you know, everything I was throwing to them. And, um, 
you know, they're also very talented. So, um, but in between that time, I also went to acupuncture school. So I went back when I was coaching at Tufts and I was like, I have to, I just basically had to learn more. Um, I couldn't not do that. I had the opportunity to, to go back. I was also a high school teacher at the time, realized that I didn't want to work in public schools. So I was like, okay, um, I just want to learn more. What do I want to learn about? It was that thing that kind of always, uh, that changed my mindset earlier. And it was like learning a whole new language. It's like, this language has words that I need to know that my language can't speak, that we don't have things to describe these things. Um, we don't have words to describe these uh, things or methods to deal with them. So that's kind of how I got into that world. Um, and also, I guess at the same time around a little before acupuncture school, I'd also been taking uh, martial arts classes in a Wudong uh, tradition. So Wudong is a kind of a sacred pilgrimage site in within China, within the Taoist tradition. And also really important for um, things such as Taoist medicine and uh, spirituality as well. And so understanding that concept because the martial arts that they learn on that mountain is very much in addition to being, you know, a fighting style. They also have ideas that are indigenous to that region and that culture and that tradition around health, well-being, um, and how those things put together within the training context. Um, and so they have, you know, like when we talk about Chinese medicine, you go to acupuncture school and you learn these things. It's like, you learn the textbook stuff, but when you actually see how, you know, within that culture, people apply it to their own training in, in a sports performance context, um, you know, where people are, you know, uh, training eight to 10 hours a day where people are breaking bones and, um, <laughs> you know, having ligaments torn from, you know, sparring or from, uh, just like the general use, like, how do you, how does your body survive all that? And they have pretty good understandings of how to get away with all that, how to um, recover, how to uh, certain characteristics within the body that allowed it to do that for a long time. Um, and that's when they start to talk about internal martial arts. That's one of the places where that comes in is understanding some internal dynamics of the body. So we can use structure, so we can use, um, you know, flexibility, pliability and attendance to be able to extend someone's uh, athletic lifespan, if you will, be able to do what they do for a long time. Yep. Boom. I mean, that, that's a freaking awesome background story. There's a lot I want to cover, uh, even just through the start of that, uh, before we get there, is there any cool, like, was there any like personal stories that you got to witness when you were there of like, just like blew your mind or like really eye-opening recovery stories or really eye-opening, like, how is that person like physically able to do that? And you're like watching him go through that, where it was really eye-opening for you when you were there. I mean, I think it's, I, so I didn't train in China. I trained for the uh, priest from China and I've trained in a couple of different teachers from a similar, but not same uh, lineage, just for similar to your geographic location. Um, but the things that really like blow my mind are just the daily principles of some of this stuff. Like you get a bruise and you rub something on it and then it's gone like in half or a third of the time. Um, I'm trying to think of what else. I mean, just seeing people that go through like really serious injuries um, like, you know, destroying their back, getting like tossed on the ground from, you know, a particular technique and they're just, they're functioning and they're fine. And, um, and, and also just seeing people, you know, later in life who still retain a lot of this ability. I think that's kind of some of the proof of the pudding. Um, yeah. yeah. The proof of the pudding and you you mentioned earlier, like, could we do better? And this is something I've been really, I've really been thinking about where, where do you think our resistance 
from this like new stuff from this maybe like i i use woo woo as my word because like that's what people say like i kind of talk yeah. about sometimes but like where do you think the like the resistance for some of this stuff where it's like all right we obviously don't have the answers you know like if, if we have the answers, every single person could create a gold medalist, you know, like we had the straight up answers and we don't, we have, we have injuries. Uh, I'm not saying we're not on the right path. I'm not saying we don't have some of the answers, but like, we don't have the answer. We don't have the golden goose, but yet we resist anything that could help us get closer to the answers. We resist. Maybe it's something that you rub on a bruise and it helps recovery. You know, like why, why do you think we resist it? Is it ignorance? Like we, we just don't know. We don't, we, we haven't seen this stuff. We haven't seen how it's utilized. Is it just, we want to hold on to power with our three by tens, you know, like what, what's your kind of thought process there? Like, why do we resist it here? I think this is where, you know, if you spend a lot of time with yourself meditating, you start to realize that it's, it's something about our nature as social beings. One thing that got told to me um, when I was doing my master's in coaching was like it or not, you know, and we had a lot of strength coaches in there. It's like, like it or not, what we do in this field is very trend oriented. You know, like it's whatever, for whatever reason, that's kind of the way we go is we, we want to do what other people are doing. We want to do what other people think is cool. And it's, there's also a safety in doing things that people know and speaking the same language. And this is universal, you know, across, you know, generations and all that. Like if, if we see it and recognize it, it's safer, it feels, um, it's more easily accepted by the athletes that we work with. Um, and so this is, yeah, you look at any big shift in, in cultural paradigms um, and kind of any system, and it takes time to really get people on board if we want to change a culture, if you want to, you know, some of the, so I think it's cultural. I think and it's, it's just like, yeah. Is, is the the process of changing and just talking more about it, showing it more, having more people like you, uh, like talking about it? Is that, is that kind of the thought process? Oh, I think like, it's just having people experience it. So like just in the same way that a lot of the coaching stuff that we grew up with that worked, why would we question that? You know, like you lift away, you get strong. Like that's, you know, no brainer. Like uh, nobody's going to argue with that. So like, it, I think it's some of it is just like getting it, people experienced, being able to talk about it in terms that are a little more solid um, because sometimes, especially things that aren't research, we start to think about how do we, you know, like put words to this stuff because it's not, you know, it's like, the more traditional stuff, it's like this stimulates an endocrine response in this system. And this, this, uh, recruits global muscle tissue in this way, or like this, even like, um, some of the newer school stuff, this is, uh, creating a response within the fascial plane here. And we're getting this sort of elastic rebound. Um, but then it's starting to be like, okay, well, well, what actually happens in the body, what actually happens in the mind that allows somebody's mental health to indicate, you know, uh, contribute to their performance. What actually happens? Um, yeah. What are the mechanisms? Like what, what, what are we working with here? And I think, um, that comes from some of the translation when I start to think about some of the practices that I have that are more, you know, woo woo, and they're kind of for their own purpose. They're not really for performance. And then I'll take other things that I feel are much more translatable. And it's like, oh, no, here we're linking the fascial system in this manner to create this tissue response. And we're opening up this joint at this time. And so that's I feel much. Um, and those are the things that I think stick a little bit more with the athletes that I've worked with and exposed things to is like these sort of things where somebody can feel it in their body immediately um, and kind of get that immediate okay, this is what this is about. I feel this. I, I know this, this is unkinking. I'm giving myself therapy here um, in a way that I didn't know that I could, but I can feel it. I can feel the results. I'm just going to roll with it. So um, yeah, I think evidence-based is, is probably 
a big key to having that shift happen. Yeah, that that really made me think of uh, the beginning of Infinity Book, where he talks about like it, it's like just because we don't have the answer doesn't mean like the answer isn't there. You know, like we just don't have the answer yet, and I, I, I that makes a lot of sense. It's like the reason we have to call some of this woo wooey is because like you you and I like are experimenting with some of this stuff, and we see that it works, but it's like it's almost like the the underlying mechanism or like explaining that and just continuing like as we grow our knowledge in the field as we grow our knowledge in some of these things they become less woo woo wee and then they'll be more adopted i i really like that thought process of it's almost like just it's almost on us or on people like pushing the um boundaries of like getting better at explaining it like bringing these things more into light and and showing people that like the knowledge is there that one they work which is like you said that's how you get people hooked like if it doesn't work you're not going to get people hooked and you're, you're probably not going to be hooked yourself. Like you said, the black and white, it didn't hurt. Now it does. Can we really call that woo woo wee? Uh, but some people could, if you can't explain it. So now it's like almost getting better at explaining it and getting yeah. more of a deeper understanding of the human body and what's actually going on there. And calling attention to where it's working too. Um, because like when I, one thing I noticed when I was working with, um, I was the team acupuncturist for Columbia track and field for a couple of years. And, um, one thing I work, noticed working with that college population, because a lot of the acupuncture that I do is a little bit less like deep tissue than a lot of other folks that work in sports. It's much more superficial. It's much more energetic. So what I find is, okay, we're going to, I'm going to touch this point with my finger with very light pressure. And you're going to do the same movement that just hurt and see if it feels better, worse or the same. And so that sort of thing, it's like, it doesn't have to, and it's like, oh, wow, that, that really changed something. Um, but it's, it's showing them that movement that they just had struggled with. Whereas if we just gave them a treatment sometimes and didn't call attention to the fact that, oh, you have, <laughs> you have zero degrees of hip extension. You know what I mean? Like something is very locked up. Like they're like, oh, like I feel a little better, but I don't really know what changed. So I think a lot of this is, is directing people's attention to where, you know, and this is something, you know, you get from working with a particular modality for a particular length of time. Where do you know that the change is most likely to occur first or perhaps uh, most, uh, you know, the biggest change is going to occur? Like those sort of those two things, where is it going to time and amount? And it's like, OK, where uh, directing somebody's attention to that? Because most of most folks and myself included, we're walking around and um, we're not like 100 percent present. You know, like that's just not something when we're dealing with people, we always got to got to keep that in mind that our attention is on something. And just like that psychology video that they show you um, where it's like the gorilla. they're playing basketball, and like a gorilla walks through the background because you're counting the passes. You don't see the gorilla in the background. It's like, yeah, like most people like, you know, that that the big change that you might have affected might be that gorilla that is getting completely ignored. And like you have to make sure if you want people to buy into what you do and change the culture, you have to make sure that they're seeing that, uh, you know, gorilla mascot walking through the frame because yeah. it's there, you know, like it's, if we do something and it works, it's there. It's just making sure that they, they notice that. Yeah. That's freaking awesome. I, I, I love that. I, I, and I love your, 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 your kind of, your, your story kind of brings me back to like the book range. Uh, and it's just, and I love, I love talking to coaches like yourself where it's like, it's so many pieces, so many different like backgrounds to draw from. Like you have the martial arts, you talked about like kind of the more structured masters in sport coaching and how it was more psychological based there. Um, and then you have the acupuncture side and uh, you talk about like blending the languages of all of those three into like your practice, you know, like Sam's practice, whatever that is um, with your athletes. How, how are you doing that? You know, like you're taking all of these pieces, like, and combining into working with your athlete. And we, we talked a little bit about the spheres with the, with the athletes and how you have to plug all this stuff in, but like, 
how how are you like it's kind of a broad question but I, i'm interested in to see where you take that like how do you how do you hit on all these points and speak all these languages and like speak your own language to your athletes from all these pieces that you're able to draw from yeah i mean i think there's a couple ways to answer that the first one is i think it it becomes easier um for me when i have like a group that's been with me or knows me for a little while because you know they know i'm gonna throw something else out there at them and they're gonna be a little more open to it if they know something else that i've done has worked um another piece is that last year uh when i was coaching again in, in south florida they had that was really the first time i experimented with kind of being a coach and therapist to the same athletes. Okay. And so it was, I was getting information and this is, I know in Altus out in Phoenix, they have this um, performance therapy model where they're communicating the therapist and the coaches back and forth. Um, but I don't know, there are a couple of coaches that will do something like this uh, within track and field, but we're getting, I'm getting information on you know, what's not moving, what's stuck in the tissues. And then I'm also getting information on what's going, what's not working or, you know, what is working on the flip side too, um, in training. So I'm seeing both sides of it as a, you know, coach, a therapist, and then that particular group, I would also, you know, finish up a couple sessions with some, you know, relatively simple Qigong exercises, um, and throw in some meditations on off days and things like that. And, um, I think it really, you know, like, uh, made the group, yeah, it had a particular effect on the group. Um, you know, I think it definitely is something that more and more people are open to is new ideas, especially in this younger generation. There's a lot more exposure. Maybe it's social media. Maybe it's um, tiredness with the same old, same old. So there's there's definitely like more, you know, people being open now, especially in the younger generation. And um, how do I talk that language? I, I think it's a... I think it's just being kind of genuine about it. People will ask me like, how, how do you get into this? And I'm like, like, or how do you, how did you decide I actually had um <laughs> one fellow who came in, he was like a pretty renowned um, boxer actually, he, but he was just training with our track group because he wanted to get some workouts in and was visiting town and was friends with one of the athletes. And um, I remember he asked me one day, he was like, uh, how, why did you, how did you decide to start teaching some of this like meditation stuff along with what you coach? And it's like, well, it's just what I think works, you know, like what I think is helpful um, and what I would want to receive as an athlete. So it's it basic answer is like, it's just me. So it's just me being me as a coach. And I think people um, resonate a lot more with that than if I was trying to be somebody else. Can you, can you take us down the, the rabbit hole of the meditation stuff? What, what, what are you doing with your athletes? Are you, are you guiding them? Are you um, just having them like are you bringing up knowledge on med meditation and talking about the importance of it and having them do it themselves? What, what are you kind of doing with that meditation aspect? I'm, I'm, I'm really big into like the psychological world. And like you said, like stuff that you, I really like that point that you ended on is like, what did you feel like you missed out on as an athlete yourself? And like, that was a huge piece for me. It's like, we did all the physical stuff and I, I still like, for sure, there's better and worse ways to do the physical stuff, but man, that is hammered on over and over and over again. Um, but you mentioned earlier, what did you say? Calm down and recover earlier in the podcast, but it's like, that's the stuff, the psychological, the, the, the ability to come back down. That is like zero percent of your time was almost focused on. So how are you doing that with your athletes? What are you implementing with them? Uh, what are some of your practices there? Yeah. So there was, um, one of the sessions, for example, if we're doing like a beach plyo session in the morning, um, one of the things we would do at the end was to be doing like a little bit of shaking Qigong. So like kind of like, a you know, a prescribed way It's not random, but like a prescribed way of like shaking. And that is really helpful to relax 
you know, certain um, joints, ligaments, tendons, and just kind of get some of that residual tension. If you do a lot of plyos and heavy lifting, much the same, you build up, you know, you recruit a lot of muscle, muscle tissue, which is great. But, um, you know, when they do those studies, I remember on those, uh, the Russian, there's a Russian study from years ago, and I've never seen the actual study, but I've taken people's word for it, where they are talking about how they took their elite athletes and their sub elite athletes. So still Olympic level, you know, but like the folks who are winning gold and the folks who are just like in the finals or, you know, maybe not quite making it there. They found that the performers who were doing the best were, they had pretty similar strength numbers. They, the difference was more the ability to turn on contraction and relaxation. So it's like teaching them how to get to a relaxed state, you know, after doing all that things that maybe built them up. And we talk about yin and yang, like that tension, that, um, energy, like that expenditure is, is more young. And so like those sort of training sessions, we need to do something a little yin, um, incorporate a little stillness, incorporate a little bit of relaxation at the end. So a little shaking, a little like visualization, um, of some kind, and then going into stillness for a few moments. It doesn't have to be a long time. Um, but I, I found that it was, I thought it was helpful and you'd have to ask them, but I think they like, you know, they enjoyed it. Um, so they found it was just like, okay, now you kind of reset and you start your day, um, because it was a pretty early morning session. So, and it was, you know, outside, you know, um, we're blessed with pretty good weather in Florida winter. Um, and so like they get to just kind of take a moment with calm and nature and everything and, um, and feel good. And that's, that's what you want your athletes to kind of be in that state to recover. Yeah, for sure. I love that. Is there, is there any other things that you're doing to work that, um, like that on and off cycle? Cause that's something that I've been really interested in too, is like, you look at a really good athlete and it's like, it's like the way the strength coach rewards the meathead muscle hamster. That was like me growing up. It was like everything in me was tense, man. It was like, I couldn't move left or right, but I could like move a weight up and down and just like so stuck in yeah. your training programs. Like I'm, I'm just always interested in talking to coaches like yourself where you're actually seeing it in that way. Are there things you're doing in your training programs to work that kind of relaxation, that kind of flowy, uh, flowiness of your training um, to make a fluid athlete, if that makes sense? Yeah, I, I know that's not super scientific, but like when you're watching an athlete, like you can tell the fluid athletes, the athletes that are just able to kind of make it happen and go from one movement to the other. One, one thing we really like to do is like some gymnastics type movements. Some, um, we do some dance, like partner dance type stuff, just, and just mirroring just where it's, it's more flow based rather than output based, rather like some of our jumps, some of our lifts are going to be more output based, but just trying to get them some, some aspect of that flow in the American sports world. Are there other things that you're doing in, in that kind of that setting? Yeah. I mean, um, a couple of things came to mind. One is that, you know, just like when you said, you know, lift the weight up and down, uh, like, but you're so tight. It's like, well, what are you doing in between sets? You know what I mean? Like, I'm not a big fan of like, you know, rushing someone through a weight session, you know, like we know that the strongest athletes probably spend the most time in the gym, taking a long time in between, uh, sets, but like, are people just doing like little, you know, like leg swings, moving around, doing their event, maybe doing even a plyometric that's relatively high intensity is still going to be a different muscle recruitment pattern. Um, so like we, we kind of some coaching research already points us in that direction. Um, but in addition, a lot of things that I'll throw into warm up are kind of dynamic stretching type stuff. Um, and it's not like, but it's interspersed with a lot of other things. I think a lot of the structure, and I was looking at Cliff Revelto's workouts, who is one of those coaches that he, there's not too many coaches that have men and women consistently in the Olympics for the same events. Um, he's at K-State and he's just like a phenomenal decades long um, teacher and coach. And just seeing how he intersperses a lot of his 
workouts with like even in the warm-ups for example like you'll have somebody doing like a low walk or some sort of crawl or something where you're kind of like building up tension and then you're doing something in a similar vein but you're you're moving more fluidly you're doing a carry high knee karaoke you're you're doing a sprint drill you're kind of like just constantly alternating um between these things and a lot of his circuits you know and this is track coach stuff it's we know it works but we don't really know why it's like okay you're doing a body weight circuit and then you're accelerating 10 meters and then you rest and then you're doing something and then you're you know moving in that fashion so that stuff already makes a difference, but I really love throwing in the, the dance. I really love throwing in the other movements. I throw in, you know, some, like occasionally some kicking, uh, sort of circus to open up hips. Um, and again, just like big, large amplitude swinging movements and just trying to work those in, in different places. Yeah. I love that. Something that we found a huge difference in doing, um, it's almost like you want to call it contrast or French contrast, but you'll do like a, um, a big power lift and then you'll do it. You, you'll, you'll superset that with some sort of play, some sort of, uh, one big thing we'll do is like, uh, maybe a big output sprint with, uh, we'll play like this morning we did output sprints mm. with, um, and we'll play soccer in between. Uh, and it makes a huge difference. Just being able to like, I'm just messing around, like flowing, just able to go. And then, then it's a straight line, like uh sprint and go. And you just watch the in-betweens. Um, I really like, like, um, if it's a big bracing movement, it's a big squat, it's a big deadlift, whatever we're yeah. trying to hit for outputs for the day. And then pairing that with some sort of, I really like Ido Portel's um, spinal flows, spinal movements, that type of stuff. And just seeing like uh, how much better the athlete feels at the end. And I think it is the ebb and flow because we've experimented too early on when it was like, we would do like a big brace at the beginning. And then at the end, we would just do some shakeout or some, and, mm-hmm. and, and it was good. It was better than nothing. But I really like your point of like the ebb and flow. We've really noticed a big difference. I, and I don't know if it's just the mindset of the athlete or it's the total volume. Maybe you're just able to get more in because you're going back and forth rather than just two separate sets. Um, but that's something that we've really noticed a big difference in is ebbing and flowing between that output and more of that flow based movement, just in how you feel and the outputs, like the, the, yeah. the numbers in the actual output piece have, have gone up through them, especially <laughs> the sprints. That's a really cool one. Yeah, they don't lie. Like, uh... yeah. And, and it's, it's really cool. Like the sprints and the jumps, like if you play and then you go sprints and you play and or just have fun, you do like some sort of flow based movement and then you go jump or sprint. It's all, I have yet to see where it's not higher than if you're just running sprints over and over. And I think a lot of it to me is like the psychological aspect too. It's just like, they get bored. Like they don't care about the, that sprints anymore. You know, like they're, they're disinterested. So it's like, of course it's not going to be fast. Even if they're like in it, they're like, they're kind of out of it. Whereas if you give them that play beast, it's like, okay, now they're ebbing and flowing back and forth. And you're trying to keep them interested and engaged. Like you said. And there's way more of a waving of intensity that you could ever get from a structured workout within a play structure or a game. You look at like, you know, nature's best leaper. You look at like a tiger. They never just jump as far as they can for like, you know, the hell of it. Like they're jumping to something. And so I remember there was that study, um, I think it was on hammer, was it on hammer throwing or long jump? Yeah, I'm sorry, I'm mixing the two, but um, there was a study where it's basically like the there was a trial group, jump as far as you can every rep, jump to a certain distance uh, every rep. And it, the folks who jumped to a certain distance, even though a lot of them were sub-maximal, actually ended up outperforming the group that just went maximal all out all the time. And so that's, there's the, this like fine tuning in our motor learning that, that takes place. Another thing um, that I forgot to mention, as far as how you kind of like build in some of these qualities of fluidity is just having reps focused on whatever you want (laughs) to be fluid and just like prioritizing that, you know, a lot of coaches I think are afraid and it sounds like you're, um, uh, kind of like taking the lead and getting out of this mentality. But a lot of coaches are afraid of taking reps where they're not doing like the fastest thing they've ever done. 
or, you know, and they're not sure what bubble things fall into, but like you can have, you still have your high intensity stuff. You're not getting rid of that, but you can also add lower intensity things where it's like, okay, there's this one aspect of technique. <clears throat> then, then I need an athlete to learn. I need somebody to be more fluid. I need them to be bouncier, you know, when they run in a certain, for track athletes in particular, I need them to get more vertical lift. I remember I worked for a Ukrainian coach who, um, uh, coached like the fourth place girl at uh, like 2008 um, and just came from a very different sports system, you know, the Soviet Union, former uh, education, all that. So he would have, we had a visiting, you know, 50 point um, 400 hurdler. So very quick dude. We had, would have him running reps of the track and it was, he was just focusing on one aspect of his right hip. Like that was just the entire rep was just like, can you do this over the course of 400 meters? Um, or, you know, I think maybe 500, 600 overspeed stuff, but we were just working on these things very specifically. Um, and in that context too, it's like, when we say an athlete looks fluid, like what are they displaying? Like which specific qualities? Is it the fact that there's, they're seamless in their transitions when it comes to reacting to something on the field? Is it that they're not holding extra tension? Is it that their hips are able to actually open up and move in a three-dimensional pattern? Um, because if we start to look at these things uh, in, in specific, then we can start to break down what elements contribute to each of them. Because a fluid athlete you know, we're still cracking the surface as coaches in terms of what we think of as fluid, what is athletic, you know, these sort of things. So as we redefine that, we find different parameters and then we can kind of draw those out and, and train them to some extent. Yeah. I love the fact that you brought up the hammer throw because that that's one of like that. I was a hammer thrower, but it's like, it's, it's one of the best like examples of that, you know, like the force and the fluidity that need to be combined. And I know one of, I'm, I'm sure they did on jumping too, but they also did the range throwing study as well. It's like, you, you got to hit this mark for so many, this mark for so many. And it was, um, I can't, it was one of the Russian, the big time Russian coaches that came to America and brought that range throwing uh, philosophy. Wondershot, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Or um, I thought it was the Oregon guy. I don't, I don't, I don't want to go on that whole rant. But anyways, it's it's, it's really cool. Like the, the point that you mentioned, it's like the fine tuning of it's not so much just go. It's 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 more so that fl- fine tuning and the balance between the two. I, we had Kidway Johnson on a couple of years ago on the podcast, and he was he was very much talking about the same thing. It's like you can't just like send it. And I and uh, Rob uh, Assis, Assis, I think it's uh, Rob Assis, but he talks about high jumping and he'll have them. Uh, it won't be their PR. Uh, it'll be, let's say 80%. And it'll have them barely clear the bar and he'll have them like experiment with some of that stuff. And he's, he's been loving the results of it, but I, I really like that thought process of the, the, the fine tuning and working in some of these fluidity, fluidity aspects and just seeing, cause I, one thing I like, I know is like the best, like, if you just want to know who the best athlete is, the best athlete will figure that out the quickest. Like it won't, maybe the best athlete won't be the best, the, the total fastest sprinter. He'll, he'll probably be up there, but like, I guarantee that best athlete, if he's on the sport field, like the guy that's going to start, he'll figure out that 90%. If you tell him to run 90%, I guarantee he gets closer to that 90% than the third string guy. That's just super, super fast. Like he's super fast. He's maybe it's the fastest flying 10, but he he's not adaptable. He doesn't have that fine tuned piece. So I, I really like, you got me in some rabbit holes right now. I'm running them through my head of like how, how we implement these things and how we kind of play with these kind of aspects in our training totally yeah i mean these are um kind of universal concepts of like what what do we want and how are we going to get there um and like what do people have you know and just like build backwards from there like what do they have um that we want the rest of the team to develop what you know can we can we do that for everyone and we can definitely do better for everyone yeah so <laughs> and you said what do we want and how do we do to get there like you know like because I, I think that's a really good point uh it's like you see what you want in like the starter you see what you want in the olympic sprinter like you see all these things 
<laughs> and then we just write them off and, and we say, no, we want this, you know, like, cause it, our book says so, or because I, I talk about like the five eleven like white guy in the tight polo, like he says that like jump with your knees out, but you watch <laughs> the best jumpers in the world and they don't do that. It's like, so you like, you have that total paradox there. It's like, all right, see what you want. And, and like, let's, let's stop ignoring it and writing it off. And so let's start digging. Okay. Like what is there? Like what, what, what is making that guy that level? And that, that's where you go into some of the fluidity. You go into the, it's not so much just the contraction, but it's the contraction to the relaxing, uh, relaxation, but the balance between those two. But like you said, like we, we have beautiful examples in our sporting environment. We have beautiful examples of great movers. And I just feel like a lot of times in our field, we write it off. Mm. We, we kind of go with what's simple. Um, yeah. It's, it's, it's not simple. Like uh, the human body is so complex that like there's probably more X's to kind of dig into in the treasure map. Totally. And it, you remind me of um, another study that I think came out of one of the Soviet countries of just their long-term athlete development too. like what works short-term and does this always translate to long-term? And it's like the folks who, you know, over the course of like three or four years did the best run the heavier lifting programs. They were doing a lot of force output. They were doing a lot of more traditional stuff, but the folks that over five to seven years, I believe the study was, was, <clears throat> were exceeding their performances we're doing a little more skill-based approach, a little bit more like motor learning. And so it's like some of these things, um, when we think about like, why don't people do them? It's like, what works quick? It's like, okay, slap a bigger motor on, on the car. It'll probably go faster. But like, if you want that car to be more nimble, more agile, maybe last longer, it's like, we can't just build a bigger motor. We have to build, you know, we have to work with some of the other pieces around it. We have to teach the driver how to drive maybe, um, <laughs> that sort of thing. And so like, how do we, you know, it's almost like, if we don't have, and it's difficult in our college system because um, we often don't have athletes for that long, you know? So it's like what works over the course of a couple months best may not be the same thing that pro, uh, you know, prolongs their athletic lifespan. Um, may not be the same thing that leaves them room to continue developing over the course of eight to 10 years, if you have somebody come and, you know, work with you from the time that they're 15 and they end up being, you know, a, a post-collegiate athlete, like what it, are those the same, you know, should we put those athletes in the same paradigm? And that's, and it's difficult because you, you don't know what somebody's goals are and everybody wants to get better fast. And, um, you know, so we tend to favor those things, but there are totally some things where we think about lifespan and we think about, um, you know, like longer term development where it's, you know, where some of the things that we're talking about here are perhaps they're, they're relevant in the short term, but they're even more relevant in the longer term because they go around learning. They go along um, with uh, lifestyle, ability to be in touch with your body, ability to stay healthy, um, ability to also know and understand your sport and movement patterns in general as an athlete that prolongs your athletic career. If you know what you're supposed to be doing, I have so many coaching friends who um, are like, man, if I, if I could demonstrate this well, uh, when I was an athlete, <laughs> I would still be doing this, you know, like, or I could just jump on the track and, and hit my uh, personal best over the, the first 30 meters. And it's like, I don't, I haven't done any of this stuff. I just know it better because I've demonstrated it so many times and I understand what I'm trying to accomplish. So like these sort of things, would that be in the first month that they started coaching? Maybe not, but the, you know, years, uh, accumulated understanding these things really make a difference. Yeah. And I, like you said, it's almost like it comes back to that job demand in, in, in the like college world, because it's like, are you going to go to, a to your boss, to the athletic directors, to the, to the college strength or to the college sport coaches and be like, 
Hey, I made our athletes more nimble, more fluid. Yeah. Uh, and then now they know how to use their bodies or you're going to go to them with, Hey, this is their max increase in their weight. And this is their max increase in how much they squat, you know, like, so it's like, it's like, you're fighting. Cause I have the, like the first couple of years I was there, it, it was that it was like, I'd be like, Hey, look at all these, like, uh, look how much better, like a uh, lack of uh lack of back pain we're having, you know, like, look how much that decreased. And we're talking about like how much better they feel and like how much less they're falling on the ground in practice and like how much more nimble they're like, but it's like, okay, but it always came back to, okay, what, what's, what are the numbers, you know? And then it, again, that probably goes back to like our original conversation is like, just eventually it's probably just eventually going to come down to developing numbers behind that stuff, you know, like, and I'm not saying that's happening now. I'm not saying it's here, but it's like, if you go to with the the principles of uh, the beginning of infinity, like eventually we'll probably just have to have numbers behind this stuff, but have numbers behind nimbleness, have numbers behind body control, you know? And once that system's created, we'll probably have to break out of that system because all systems have their flaws, you know, but that's just where my mind's going with that is like, it, it, it's, it's, it's almost comes back to the job demand of, it's just so much easier to have those conversations with people when you have a number to back it up, something just physically show them rather than tell them, especially if they're not experts in watching movement, they're not experts. And it's tough, especially in like a football world or a track world when you have a hundred kids on a team, you know, you have a hundred kids on a team and you're going to be like, Hey, watch what that guy looked like moving before. Whereas watch what look what he moving now, you know, like where it's much easier to like, I have a whole Excel sheet of all the green numbers that like increased. Totally. And like you said, I think it's, it's figuring out ways um, and tests and parameters that we can show numbers to it. And then also, you know, some of that, I have seen, you know, some positive examples where like, you know, a football uh, strength coach is like, you know, really year one is just focusing on reducing injury. And so like that, you know, depending on how badly the team got beat up the year before, like that may be the, the number that's needed, you know, is, is how many games do we actually miss? uh, based on injury, especially on the football side of things. Cause you know, that can just derail a season. If your quarterback goes out in the first game, like what do you, you know? Um, but yeah, no, I definitely, I think you're, you're onto on the right track. It's like numbers will be developed over time for some of these things. Yeah. And, and the last couple of questions before I would get into the rapid fire round, and I'm, I'm just interested in some of the other stuff outside of training and some of the things that I've seen you do on your Instagram. It's, it's some of like these teas that you're making, some of the connections to the light and environment right. that you're making. Um, your thought process on like the the out like what kind of comes into your body through the through, through nutrition, through through light exposure, that type of stuff, and then maybe some tips for college athletes. We have a lot of college athletes that listen to the podcast of things that maybe they can start to implement. Things just maybe some habits in that sense of that you you think maybe maybe it's just stuff that you wish you would have done as a college athlete that you just had no idea about but some of those kind of aspects that i see that you touch on on the instagram that i don't think are talked about enough in the world and if we're going to talk about a holistic podcast we should probably probably touch on here sure i think um you know the first thing you brought up was um you know some of the herbs that we're cooking up at work and just like having um an understanding and uh, are there good we'll get into this. I think one of your rapid fire questions I saw, we'll get into this, but the um, ability to be like, okay, are there natural things that I can do in terms of changing my diet or in terms of putting something on like DA.jo, like hit fall wine in Kung Fu sports medicine. I use that all through college. People thought I was crazy because it's an alcohol based tincture with some herbal medicine. It's amazing for when like you have sore muscles, when you have a strain or sprain, it makes things heal faster. Um, I think, you know, and just being willing to, um, like seek out, you know, a therapist or seek out somebody. And sometimes that, you know, exists in your community. Sometimes it doesn't, but just being willing to kind of go out on a limb, um, and seek something out is really important. And then as far as things they can do on a daily basis, I think having a routine 
Um, one thing that always helped me mentally and physically is having a morning routine, you know, something where you're like, okay, I'm going to take care of, you know, and you can make it very specific and very grounded for what you're trying to accomplish. If you're a college athlete, it's like, I'm going to do a little bit of like foam rolling, a little bit of stretching, and then I'm going to meditate for a couple minutes. You know, I'm just going to go into stillness and just like give myself a moment before I start the day. I think that's my biggest, uh, kind of like advice for, for folks is just like have grounding moments. Um, there are practices I do through like um, some of the things I've learned from Taoism and other practices where you're taking a moment to do a particular practice at um, sunrise, midday, sunset and midnight. And just like having moments, maybe like an alarm on your phone to just be like, OK, take a deep breath, calm down. You know what I mean? Like have something to return to. Um, it's a maintain your grounding, whether it's a, a phrase that you repeat to yourself, like. I am here, um, or just like something positive. Like if you're trying to change something, just having, if you, like people get so fluffy with, um, you know, with like, you know, uh, mental aspects of performance, it's like, make it grounded, do something like daily, like, like visualize it. You know what I mean? Like, um, don't just say I'm going to do better. It's like, visualize yourself doing better, like force yourself to see it. Um, and just like put that in a routine, make it before bed routine, make it with your wake up routine. Those are two places to start. I think that are really good. Yeah. Because you probably have control for one or both of those. Yeah, that, that that's awesome. I love that. Uh, la last question before we get through our rounds. And this is just, if, if an athlete is listening, you talked about finding like an acupuncturist or finding a, a therapist in that sense. Is there things they should be list looking for and like um, being aware of? Because that, that's a big question I get is like, um, uh, from a lot of athletes is like, uh, chiropractors and like acupuncturists are like, are they legit? And I'm like, well, it depends on who it is, you know, like it's same as strength coaches or PTs or it doesn't matter. It's like, it depends exactly. which like acupuncture or which chiropractor, or which strength coach you're working or with medical doctors, or med you know, like, yeah. So are there, are there things that, cause you, you are, you are in that field. Are there things that are like kind of red flags or things you should be looking for, or maybe questions you should be asking? Hmm. I, I mean, definitely asking, um, like, or figuring out if somebody is, um, treated somebody in your position that injury particularly worked with an athletic population I think is a big one just because um, and I, this came up a bunch of times uh, working with sports teams is uh, folks will be like oh I'm nervous to you know have a treatment like the day before and actually the last uh, meet that I worked with with Columbia before the pandemic happened um, like that the whole group that I worked with pretty much like PR'd or had like an amazing day and you know that's a lot to attribute to you know the coaching staff um but it's also just knowing as a therapist how much you can do when there's a meet tomorrow, you know, versus if I have like a day off tomorrow. So it's it's maybe asking some questions like, um, you know, what is your approach? How long, you know, can I uh, take after the treatment to return to training? Um, that sort of thing, because it will dif uh, differ depending on the therapist, depending on the technique and also depending on their experience level with that. Um, and, you know, like certain people, like if you want to get an adjustment and you're, you know, 300 pound lineman, um, you probably have to go to somebody with some pretty big hands, you know, like, <laughs> like, so you might want to look out for that too, because there are totally times when, um, like the therapist is really good, but, um, like you, the person is just needs something like a big, a stronger touch or something like that, or lighter in some cases too. Some folks are look super, you know, are super athletic, are super strong and are also quite sensitive. So I think asking yourself, uh, what you need and perhaps trying a different, a few different things in order to know what seems to work best for you so that you can seek that out. Sometimes it does take trying a couple different people or a couple different modalities. 
Boom. Love it. All right. Let's get to rapid fire rounds. Uh, and I got two questions for you that I want to ask you. And the first one is some of your favorite books. And I'm interested in yours uh, just because you do have that outside perspective of knowledge. Um, <laughs> some of the favorite books to bring us down some of these rabbit holes that you've talked about. Sure. Um, I love The Alchemist. Uh, not necessarily sports related, but I really, uh, by Paulo Coelho, uh, that's a great book. Um, Tooth from a Tiger's Mouth cool. is one that I've, you know, I've taken classes with this particular teacher, Tom Bizio. B-I-S-I-O. And um, it goes into some understandings of Eastern and Western uh, perceptions of the body. And then what else do I like as far as any particular topics that you're looking to go down a rabbit hole? Oh, no. Any any, any of your favorite books that you think if we get started on there? um, uh, Lindsay Way's book, uh, The Valley Spirit, is a really good one as well. Um, it talks about her time in Wudong mountain and that's a teacher I've worked with and who's very legit. And so those, those are three in different realms that all relate back, uh, to things that I think would be interesting to anyone who enjoyed this podcast. Sweet. Awesome. And then final question of the podcast. And this is when all the, all the podcast stuff is over, all the, all the coaching stuff is over, all the acupuncture stuff is over. Uh, what do you kind of want your legacy to be? I think I want to make a difference and inspire. That's pretty much it. You know, make life um, better for some folks, but also really inspire people to go on their own journeys and to think for themselves and amass their own constellation of teachers and ideas and um, put that together uh, for themselves, you know, with help, not, you know, on an independent diehard streak. But um, yeah, I want, I want folks to, to kind of think for themselves a little bit. And, and also be grounded and do what works, not, not, you know, just, just trying to do it to be different, but like what works for you and, and being true to that. Could we do better? Yeah. Could we do better? Yeah. I love that. That's a great quote. Well, thanks for being on coach. This is awesome. Yeah. Thanks Austin. Thanks for having me. It's great. Thank you guys for listening. Keep chopping wood. Boom. Thank you for listening. Join us next week as we dive down another rabbit hole. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave a five-star rating. Follow us on Instagram at Austin Yoakum to stay updated on future podcast guests. Keep chopping wood.